0: Welcome to Subject to Power. I'm El Kemihira. Many scholars who study the evolution of humanity, sociologists, anthropologists, biologists, have come to the conclusion that we, all of us, wouldn't have survived, let alone have evolved into the complex, resilient, and innovative species that we are without millennia of stability and peace. My guest today, Heidegger Abendroth, established the formal study of this peaceful past, and present, known as matriarchal studies. Through the institute that she founded, Academia Hagia, she has spent nearly 40 years researching and disseminating a vast repository of knowledge about matriarchal societies, their politics, economics, social practices, and spirituality. In this episode, we barely scratched the surface of what there is to know. But for those of us who worry about our violent and unequal present, where only a few humans at the top of the hierarchy are getting their needs met, and great masses of our human families suffer, it feels like a key to a different world, a different humanity. Maybe we can start with, as a means of introducing you and your work, talk about your institute. Yes. You
1: see, I was teaching philosophy for 10 years at the University of Munich. But then I saw that it's not possible to bring this topic into academia. They shut the doors and don't want to discuss matriarchy, even if I do it on a high level or high standard of methods and methodology. It's uh, simply a big prejudice, which is everywhere around. And then I decided to found an independent academy where I can do research and teach as I want to do, not with some uh, restrictions from academia. And therefore, I founded the Academy Hagia, and so it went very well. The Academy Hagia is now well known, and it is working since 37 years. Because always students are coming because
0: this topic is intriguing them. And I'm
1: very happy about that.
0: I wonder if you see, is it mostly women who come, women students? Yes,
1: uh, 95% are women and 5% are men. When I do public lectures, it's a little bit different than there are more men. But the majority is always women who want to know about that. And I think it's quite, quite clear why, why women want to know more about this. They suffer the most from the suppression of patriarchal patterns. So they want to hear about a different way of life and different society, which is possible.
0: Yes, that is my impulse, to, <laughs> too, about mm-hmm. learning about matriarchy and searching, searching, searching for something alternative. Yeah,
1: yeah that's right. I think there are many uh, people searching for an alternative. But what's different with research on matriarchy is we don't have not to deal with ideas and utopias. We we deal with reality. These societies are real. They have not been recognized very well, and they have not been described very well in anthropology. But I'm in contact with many people of these societies, and I learned a lot from them. So. I also like to make their societies more known and more visible because they are so important. And they are reality, not fancy.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point that I think it's easy to think of these as utopian scenarios. But that's not how you came about learning what you know. It is by actually going to these places and studying and talking to people who live in those societies.
1: Yes, that's right. At first I studied a lot of literature, anthropological literature, which is full of matrilineal societies, but this means to diminish this type of society. They have much more to say than that they are just matrilineal. This is also a prejudice in anthropology. They also avoid the term matriarchy. But I say if we have a society which is matrilineal and at the same time women have the economy in their hands, Their position is so strong that we have a matriarchy and we have to recognize this. What is much uh, interesting is that some of these societies call themselves matriarchy. The Iroquois, for example, call their type of society a matriarchy and they insist on this term as an egalitarian, mother centered, or women centered society with perfect equality for both sexes. They have this. Also, the Minang Kabau in Sumatra calls the society a matriarchy. So, why should we call it in a different way? We are not insiders of this society. They are, and they say this term is right. So, I use it. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I studied a lot of literature. It was not very satisfying, but I got information there where I have to look. And then I started to, to travel and I did field work with the Mozo in Southwest China. They have classical. Matriarchal patterns, of course, under cover of the Chinese state. So, but it's the same for each of these societies. And then uh, I organized with my friends three world congresses on modern matriarchal studies, and we invited people from matriarchal societies from all over the world, and women and men, and they came. And this created a big net of contacts for me and a big net of conversations with them. So I have friends in these societies in many different continents, and I'm learning from them. Of course, I have my idea how we can define or formulate what is typical for these society, but they give me the confirmation and they give me a lot of details and ideas and ways how they live. So I learn from them and I'm very grateful to them.
0: Before you did your major studies into matriarchies, there's a lot of willful misunderstandings of what matriarchal is and resistance to even studying it. If you can explain what those resistencies are and why the difficulty in understanding.
1: You see, everybody has in his or her mind the idea matriarchy is women's rule, no? domination of women. And this is completely wrong. For these societies are the only true egalitarian societies which I ever met. Egalitarian in the sense that both sexes are on equal terms and very respectful towards each other. And also the elders have the say and the youth have the say. This is very interesting. But I think these prejudices are typical for the Western sort of Europe and America and all people who have been indoctrinated in Western mindset. Why? We have a long history of patriarchy, and the Western industrial societies are capitalist patriarchies, nothing else. We can see it every day, with the suppression of women, the suppression of what women do, what women create, what women know. This is never taken into account in mainstream media and everywhere. So I think these people... I feel threatened by the idea that there exists a different kind of society which has no suppression of women, doesn't need war, doesn't need all this violence we are experiencing every day. This is for them threatening. It uproots all the ideas they have in their mind. And they feel uncomfortable with this and they don't want to know more about it. So we have a lot of strategies to keep these thoughts out. And the term, matriarchy means women's rule, is a way to shut the door so that we should not think about it. It should not be researched. It should not come into this patriarchal mindset in which we all have been raised. And of course, I uh, was in, in kind of opposition early on. When I started philosophy, I was so bored after a while because all this systematic thinking of men and again a new system and the next system and so on, I always asked myself, what has this to do with me as a woman? But I want to know how they think and how they form our worldview with their thinking. It was a critical attitude I had from the very beginning. And in the same libraries, I found then some literature about this matriarchal thought, which is buried in these libraries, but I found it. And this intrigued me, and I continue to study this everywhere in the libraries where I could find it in, in philosophy, in sociology, in anthropology, in archaeology. But I studied this secretly. So it was, I had a double study philosophy officially and matriarchal studies unofficially. And then um, after my PhD and my teaching at the university, I was at the crossroad. Should I continue with this philosophical systems of men's male mindset for male mind? Or should I continue with matriarchy? I knew that when I continue with matriarchy, my career at the university would be stopped. But there were so many women who had heard me before because I was talking at any possibility and teaching about this, and when the second communist movement came up, I was at the forefront and was talking about matriarchy. I had the feeling, this is relevant, this is important. But what men have thought and which systems they have invented in philosophy is not relevant for us. So I decided to continue with matriarchy and at the same time, I Left my marriage, I left university and created the Academy Hagia, the independent Academy Hagia, where I can teach and research this topic. And it was a right decision. But as I told you before, always women and some men came and came and came through all this decade and wanted to know. I always could see there is a desire to know more than our
0: official education systems give us. And so you're in Europe, obviously. Can you kind of describe what the cultural heritage there is in terms of matriarchy or lack thereof? Yeah.
1: These were two European thinkers and researchers who showed me the way. The one is Johann Jakob Bachofen. He was a Swiss scholar and he wrote about mother right. And he had much influence because... Over a hundred years, the discussion about right among scholars went on. And the other one who inspired me is Robert Graves with his Greek mythology. In his book, Greek mythology is not about Greek mythology. It's about the culture, which was before the patriarchal Greek culture. And he openly called it matriarchy. This is a European tradition, which came to me because I was interested to to know more than only these philosophical boxes, and then I couldn't stop to continue with this research because this had to do with me as a woman. And so I went on and on. (laughs) When I published my first book, it was in the 90s years of the last century Then Maria Imbuta's important books were not published. Some years later, her book came out, Language of the Goddess and Civilization of the Goddess, and of course, I was fascinated because she confirmed as an archaeologist what I had found out by reading a lot of German and English and French anthropological literature. She showed by her archaeological expertise that these societies also existed in Europe, but in the past. I was on the way to find the living examples of matriarch societies in the continents of Africa, East Asia, And both Americas. And then she opened the field for researching the past in Europe. She is a European and she had a lot of knowledge about European culture and she could read all the Eastern Slavic languages and the research there. And so she could unfold a very rich field in archaeology about these past cultures, which she called matristic, but it's the same the same patterns, which I call Métiarchal. So it's not a difference, not a difference. Only she didn't know this approach of modern Métiarchal studies, which I created. She is a generation before me. And so well, I learned a lot from her work and I I appreciate her work about old Europe. So she opens the field of
0: Métiarchy
1: for Europe.
0: So in a nutshell, the assertion is that Europe in the Neolithic and Paleolithic were matriarchal and that patriarchy was the result of Indo-Euro invasions. invasions. Yeah. You know,
1: my first book about living matriarchal societies today. Just now a second book of mine has been published about past matriarchal societies in West Asia and Europe. Of course, I rely on Maria Gambutas. But I try to broaden the field to show that before patriarchal development in every continent, we had matriarchal patterns. And I would say Paleolithic times are very long. And the classical matriarchy came up in Neolithic times, which covers at least some millennia. Paleolithic times is more difficult to research. I think Paleolithic had mother-centered societies But the full development of these matrilineal clans and clan houses and the um, agricultural economy in the hands of women, this developed in Neolithic times. So I think the classical matriarchy, we can find it in the Neolithic times. Of course, it's not a break between Paleolithic and Neolithic times. It's a soft development in these long times of human development. Women had created the social forms in both epochs. And from Neolithic times on, we have to-to-day influence of matriarchal patterns. Of course, it was interrupted by the invasion of the Indo-European warrior groups. Uh, they were a minority and the matriarchal people were a majority. And so a lot of cultural ideas were adopted by the Indo Europeans. Of course, it was distorted, but you can see even the ground of the matriarchal patterns behind this. And this is valid also for the other continents where we have only isolated, still living matriarchal societies. But a lot of patriarchal societies around them, you can see in them also, they have a very old patriarchal tradition, which can be recognized if we know what are major patterns, then we can see that.
0: I'm excited to read your new book that you just published, but in your work before that, you kind of skip right out of Europe and go on to the international and uh, take us all around the world visiting matriarchal societies, living societies on every continent, just about. So I want to talk a little bit about what were you looking for? What were the paradigms, the patterns that you were interested in?
1: I think matriarchal studies includes a new paradigm. It includes a new paradigm of society, which is always oppressive so that we cannot know about it. I bring it to light again. And it's a new paradigm about history. If you look in the history books, it always starts with the old Greeks and Romans and all this military and patriarchal and so on and so on and so on. It's so boring. Nobody or no women, maybe somebody does, but no women is interested in this. No woman likes to study this. Huh? So it's a new paradigm of history too, because the longest parts of history, Paleolithic, mother centered, Neolithic, full matriarchy, the longest parts of uh, human development was created by the mothers, by the women, by their maternal values and maternal ideas. Compared with this, patriarchal development is rather short and rather disastrous. I'm sorry to say that. Rather dangerous. Mm. Yeah. And when I recognized this, it changed my whole mindset and if, you once have got this knowledge, you cannot go backward. So I continued and I'm still continuing this research. I want to show that not only in Europe and West Asia, we have matriarchal traditions behind the patriarchal modern situation or later. We have it all over the world and I want to show this. I made this worldwide tour with still existing patriarchal societies, which you know very well, but now I'm about to show that everywhere A long, patriarchal past is behind the societies which later developed and became patriarchal. It's a huge task, but I like to do it. (laughs) And this changed our idea of history, and it changes our idea about the importance of men. I think women have created in human history much more important ways of life than later men did in their patriarchal patterns. The importance of women comes to light again. We have very interesting research for Paleolithic time, how the Homo sapiens developed, and this was by the inventions of mothers who had to care for the survival of the species, to care for the children. They invented clothing, they invented housing, or, or the first shelters and so on, Man, the hunter, was never so important in Paleolithic times as we are taught he he was. He was not important. The women invented the first cultural skills, and this went on through a very long time, and they invented the first religion, which is rebirth religion. So women, new life came again into being, and so the women conceptualized this situation as everything comes again, comes back, like in spring, the vegetation comes back, like the sun comes back in the morning, and so on. So for them, humans, plants, animals, all is coming back after death. This is a rebirth religion. This was invented by women. And this religion thrived also in Neolithic times, when women invented agriculture, gardening and agriculture, plant, domestication and also animal domestication to some extent was also invented by women. Housing creating big clans what we have in Neolithic times in the mother line for the mother line is a natural line Father line is difficult and not so easy to be discovered. So these were all inventions by women who create the first big societies which are based on mother line based on peacekeeping, and based on self-governing and on equality. And these are so important inventions by women in history, they have never been completely forgot. In every oppositional movement in patriarchy, you can find these ideals again. Equality, brotherhood, sisterhood, sharing, and so on. But all these ideals and practices Have been invented during history by women, by mothers. When I talk about maternal values, these values were valid in Paleolithic time, sharing, everybody's caring for everybody's needs, peacekeeping, and so on. And this was more refined, bigger social structures in Neolithic times, but they were also based on these maternal values. And by these maternal values, our species, humankind, could survive. For we were very few in Paleolithic times. In the Neolithic times, there were very difficult crises for humankind to survive, but the mothers always created situations that humankind could survive. Later, when patriarchal patterns arise at first, these things were changed, and then we look today at the situation. We don't have maternal values today. It's not shared. Some get all with a greedy attitude. Nature is destroyed. War is at stake everywhere, and so on. This is patriarchal behavior, which is oriented towards power. If we would have maternal values in our present day, like peacekeeping, sharing, looking that everybody lives well because there's enough for everybody, then we would not have the situation we are in, this dangerous situation we are in today. So, here again, you see the heritage of mothers in nature, our society, which could be the way to save our situation, to fix the problems of our situation today, to save humankind (laughs) if they want to live again according to its
0: values, and to leave patriarchy, because patriarchy is our ruin and it's so easy when you break it down and analyze it and compare the two it's not endless competition power over conquest war it's not reconcilable with a future period yes you do have a quote which i think is really beautiful in one of your books saying motherhood which originates as a biological fact is transformed into a cultural model yes This is what happens in matriarchal societies. These maternal values are
1: taken from the prototypical behavior of mothers. Prototypical, of course, individual mothers can make mistakes and so on, but take the prototypical behavior of mothers. They care for everybody according to their needs. Caring, nurturing, perfect neutrality, and peacekeeping are maternal values because without these values, no child would grow up into an adult person. Yeah? All children can grow and thrive based on the behavior which shows these values, still today, still today. This behavior was spread, the whole society was transformed according to this behavior. So in major arc societies, It doesn't matter if you are a mother or not. Every woman behaves like that, and the men behave like that. The men also are caring, looking for their sisters and their clan, and their mothers live a good way. And the men are responsible for peacekeeping. So when in a clan, a man is elected as representative to the outside world, meaning other clans, other villages, or even foreigners, they always try to keep peace by negotiation and finding very good solution, which is a win-win situation for everybody. This is um, a task for men, and they are very skillful in this, which I could see in the still living examples with Nankar Bauer and other people, how careful men are to solve a problem without violence and without much noise. Yeah. You brought the term sustainability, and that is so important. But today, people think sustainability can create it by finding moderate technology and making green technology. I think this is a little bit short-minded. But if we cannot create sustainability only by continuing with our way of living, we have to find out what makes a sustainable society. Uh, and we don't live in a sustainable society. So, all this technology, which should be a remedy, doesn't help so much. We need a society which is sustainable. And patriarchy is not sustainable, it is destructive. The society which is sustainable is matriarchy. For if we know still living, still existing matriarchal societies lived in the same place for millennia, then we see how sustainable. Their attitude toward nature and their social structures are. And this is a model.
0: Yeah, that becomes clear very quickly when you talk about the different cultures that you have visited, that it is cultures that are made for longevity, for living on and on. And it also struck me how widespread it is matriarchies, how many living cultures there are absolutely everywhere.
1: Yeah. It was for me also a big surprise when I found out that they exist everywhere, still existing, and that they existed also in Europe and West Asia, which have been very early and they're heavily patriarchalized. But in every continent outside of this, they still exist. And I could find out that they exist in the same area for a very long time. Sometimes they shifted their society a little bit to find a more protective place, like a lonely landscape, an island, or or desert. But they have a very long history in this area, and they have a memory of their history. It's oral tradition. They don't write it down. It's oral tradition of a long memory in the same place. So I thought, when they have lived there during such a long time, there must be a historical layer which covered much more than their place they have today much more areas than just the place where they live today because this society were experience pressure from many sites and this was confirmed by some archaeological research in the same areas and this brought me to the idea not only the idea but to to evidence that the major arch layer is very far spread and very old in these continents and also in our continents of Europe and West Asia. Yes.
0: So these matriarchal patterns, they are indigenous for the most part. Yes. It's what we
1: call today indigenous, and they call themselves indigenous. And where they are living, they are the most oldest people in this area, the indigenous peoples. Yeah, you see, today, all these still-living, major-arch societies live under the domination of modern national states. Like the Mosul, who live in the state of China, like the Minangkabau, who live in the state of Indonesia, like the Iroquois, who live in the state of the USA. And, of course, they experience pressure and suppression from these states layer over them. For them, it's always difficult to keep their old traditions, which contradict the laws and the political bodies of these later national states. So they had to develop patterns of resistance to keep their old traditions. When I meet them today, I'm so astonished because I think, how could they manage this to keep their major patterns during centuries of patriarchal pressure? This is very interesting to see how they do this. For example, the Minangkabau, they are not a small population. They are people of six millions. Six millions. So many people as modern Switzerland has. So they are not only a tiny group, and they are very well educated. They live partly in the rural heartland on Sumatra, where they have the agricultural traditions, and three millions are living in the heartland, and three millions living Abroad. This means they're living in all Indonesian cities, they live even in other countries, they live even in Europe and even in the US. But they come back to the heartland from time to time and inform the people in the heartland what's going on in patriarchy. And then they discuss together how they can undermine these new threats of patriarchy. And they are very successful in this. In the cities, they are lawyers, doctors, and have all modern professions. So they have also a say in Indonesia and can raise their voices. And when the Indonesian government tries by a law to abolish the importance of women and so on, then they have immediately opposition of these uh, Minangkabau lawyers and doctors and teachers and so on. And then Most interesting example is when this region was under Islamic invasions. Also Sumatra had an Islamic invasion. And Islamic law is completely against that women have heritage and have the economy in their hands and have in the family the the motherland and so on. It's completely against. So they try to find a very intelligent compromise. The uh, Islamic people who try to missionize them Demanded they should have mosques and Quran should be taught there. So they opened the houses of men where men had their assemblies and changed the houses of men into a mosque. So then the men were sitting there listening what what the Quran teachers were telling, and they didn't say anything against it. They went home and told in their matriarchal other clans what new ideas this patriarchal Islamic people had brought, and then. Women continued with their traditional life, they kept the economy, nothing was changed because the houses of men, which was changed into a mosque, were were standing on the ground which women owned and inherited. They accepted Islamic ideas formally, but in their traditional way of life, nothing changed. And women continued, women have a strong solidarity, very strong solidarity. Women simply continued as ever. And this was a compromise. Also, when, for example, in USA, the Pueblo cultures, also the Hopi and the other Pueblo cultures who have major other patterns, have been missionized by Catholic Spanish priests, they did the same. Officially, they went to church listening to the service, then they went home into their Pueblos, in, into their Kivas, and celebrated their traditional rituals there. Officially, they accepted what the other wanted to have, and internally, they did continue with their traditions, with their old traditions, so in the end, they didn't change anything. But they showed respect to the ideas of the strangers. This is a way to undermine patriarchal claims that patriarchal priests and religions have the only truth. They undermined it because they continued with their traditions in secret.
0: Very stealthy. The examples you just mentioned, the key seems to be that land is not invaded and taken over and that as long as they have some place where they retain ownership and can protect the, like the Hopi, at some point they forbade people to come up to the mesas to protect the culture yeah, yes. for decades.
1: Yeah, I think the factors for their ability to resist is but first, a strong solidarity among women, keeping to the motherland and keeping to the economy. They don't let take the economy out of their hands. economy, they don't own it, but they have the right of distribution. What all they earn from their agricultural work, the mothers have the right to distribute it. And no man would claim that he has a claim on, on land. Women have the claim on land. It was the same with the Iroquois. This strong solidarity among women socially and economically gives them power. And the other point is that men are strong defenders of their own cultures. The major agriculture in which they are raised is their identity, their et- ethnicity, and they want to live in this culture and not in the culture of a foreign intruder or invader. So the men are very confident and same strong solidarity to their own culture. And in this way, you cannot split these people. You cannot split women from men, and you cannot split them in different oppositional parties because their politics is based on consensus finding. And when these people have, by their different councils, found their consensus, you cannot split them. Then they act as one person altogether the menangkapau it is always against patriarchal challenges.
0: And I think in some ways, democratic values are, you know, I live in the U.S. where we see ourselves <laughs> delusionally as a democratic stronghold, but really the kind of essence of equal voice can be found in the matriarchal paradigm. You say it in a perfect way.
1: Our democracies are formal democracies, only formally, but not in reality. It's a big difference. We have a lot of democratic institutions to keep this formal democracy working. I think, it's, of course, it's better than monarchy, tyranny, and and autocrats, better than this. But it remains formal. In major societies, politics come from below, from people. At first, they have their councils in the clan house and in the villages and in the cities, and then on the regional level. And in this way, by a very intelligent network of councils, they form a consensus. It's a consensus democracy, and we would call it, in our modern terms, a grassroots democracy. This is what they do. And I have a nice anecdote of a Minangkabao man who was taught by white people about our wonderful democracy and so on and so on. he said, oh, that's not new to us. We have it since a long time from below democracy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think what they do is a real democracy because no one is excluded. And they have, what I could observe, they have very good capacity to listen, to think about the opinion of the others and to integrate all different opinions. This capacity or ability to integrate does the matriarch in the clan house and outside of the clan house in the village council or regional council, the men do this. They integrate all these different opinions until every opinion of each clan house has found a good solution. This is a very creative process, but in the end, they have a perfect win-win situation and the people stand all together together with problems they have discussed and they have power the a solution. This is very interesting. So I, sometimes I like to say they have a high capacity of communication,
0: which is not so much developed in our in societies. And I think because we are so ruled by power over and inequality that those in power have absolutely no incentive to listen to the masses below. And so you have a lot of shortcoming of empathy and listening, like you said, and most people are just ruled by an upper layer.
1: I think the capacity of thinking in communal terms to feel and to think what the community means and wants and does, not to think what I as in my egotism want, but what does the community want. This fosters in them the ability to listen and to find a communal solution. It's not about uh, that the community suppresses individual opinions, not at all. They try to listen to everybody and to make
0: a good integration. Everybody's active in this process. Central to patriarchal control is the control of women's reproduction. And central to matriarchal principle is very important that Reproduction and a child bearing and rearing, it's not given over to men. Mm-hmm. There are many, many different ways that this shows up in matriarchies. Can you talk a little bit about? Yes. At first, female
1: reproduction, this means the ability to give life by birth, to say it in a non technical term, is <laughs> completely in the hands of women. This is their dignity, they are the giver of life. Just as the dignity of men is to keep peace, to care for peace. And this is completely in the hands of women. The rituals, the birth giving process, and all is, is in the hands of women. And the young women are protected by the older women, their mothers and midwives. They are all together and care for this. From the very beginning, the young mother and the child is celebrated, or the pregnant woman is celebrated. They have a lot of celebration to show this dignity of women who are pregnant, who give life, and to raise children. And you see, the mother line also recognizes this, because she gives the life to the child. It's the child belongs to the mother, not in the sense of belonging, but it's her fruit. And from this, the mother line develops quite naturally. And the mother line gives uh, women the central position in social life. A man is proud of his mother because he doesn't know his father. His father is not interesting to him, his biological father. So this is a point which sometimes is not easy to understand for us because we are so fixated, so focused on biological fatherhood. But with them, the father is, in our terms, mother's brother. Why? He has the same clan name as a mother has. The mother and her children have the same clan name, and in each generation, the brother of a woman has the same clan name. So the brother is the closest male relative to a woman and the closest male protector to her children, the sister's children. And the father from outside, the biological father, he is the lover. And they say, a lover comes and goes. Major other woman says, a lover comes and goes because they change their love relationships as they like, both men and women, they are free in their loving affairs. And she said, the lover comes and goes, but my brother is always here. And this is true because they live in the major local, in the mother house, and the brother is always here. He cares for his sister, he protects his sister, he represents the clan to the outside world, and he cares for the children with his work. So the brother-sister relationship is the closest between men and women in major art societies. The lover, even if he is a biological father, he has no importance for in the mother line. He has no importance. He has different clan name. He's not even regarded as in a blood relationship to the children. He has a different clan name. So, but the basis of this is that they have a very open and natural attitude toward love. When I was with Muslim women, they told when I asked them, how long are your love affairs? They laughed and said, oh, love affairs, so long as the love is here, as the love is still felt. When it's over, it's over. And sometimes the love affairs are short. Sometimes the love affair can be many years, and sometimes even the love affair can be for the whole life. It's the same for men. If they don't love a woman anymore, they don't go to hell. They are free in their love decisions and women too. And they would not understand that we in our societies would press love into a monogamous marriage. They would tell me, oh, this is a death of love if you do this. And I think they are true to some extent.
0: Yeah, you said there are no known cases of original people who are monogamous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's
1: interesting. When love is free and the young people choose, their love appears in a free way. Saying a father line cannot develop because women know, the child knows who is its mother, but who is a father? Not known and not interested in, not interested. The brother is here. But he does it. I call it sometimes he is the social father for the children. So they have also the male model.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking about modern marriage, the way we live it, where we're expected to be married for life and so on. So the notion that you kind of link love relationship with the fate of the child, the way you describe it, a disaster, right? It's absurd. Absurd. Yeah. Ab- absurd, because absurd. A, ch- a child's life is highly valued and must be protected and nurtured for 20 years before they can, you know, even become adults. And like you described, love relationships are fleeting for the most part. The emotions we feel for romantic partners are fleeting emotions and not fit for sticking around for 20 years. And you can see it in our society, children are not cared for.
1: We see today that the nuclear family is a very unstable institution. 60% or more are breaking and then what's with the children? Then the fight over the children and children are not cared for and children grow up in a very insecure situation. This is dangerous and it makes so many people sick. Matriarchal people would think of this as absurd way to live. But I think in their society, they are able to care for two basic needs. One basic need is being protected and have a safe place. This is for them the clan. The clan of the mothers, the daughters, granddaughters, brothers. They are always together and care for safety, being protected, being at home and the other need we have is the freedom of our feelings of our love and they have it they have the freedom of love but never they would give up the home of the clan for the love so the love is outside the lovers come overnight This visiting marriage and they go in the morning or even if they stick together for a longer time then the man comes in the house of the woman as a guest and works and helps there and if he doesn't like to stay longer, he goes away again to his mother house. So this combination of being protected, especially the children, are always protected in the clan house, always. And at the same time, the young women are free to choose their love affairs. This is a perfect combination which corresponds to our needs as humans. And the lover sometimes stays a little bit longer in the house, and then the lover plays with the children. But he, he goes again, and the brother's always here and cares for the children, together with mothers, grandmothers, and aunties, and always here. I think this is a wonderful invention to um, correspond to our basic needs, which can never be fulfilled in our modern nuclear families. And we see today that many nuclear families break apart and the people live as singles, isolated, and often depressed and so on. I think they have found here a very good solution and everybody is satisfied.
0: Yeah, I think one of the biggest indoctrinations or kind of delusions that we're under in the present world is that equality between the sexes or gender equality is about being same, being the same. In our society, that means all being men or living as men, not caring for our children, working instead of caring for our children, competing with men in the same sort of capitalist, system whereas in matriarchy what i think is so significant is that you say it reflects the two phases of humanity men and women and i think it is not at all trying to be same same it is acknowledging our very very different functions
1: you're right in our society Our society is based on male values, or to say it more clearly, on patriarchal values. These are not always male. They are patriarchal values, which mean striving for power, competition, using violence, if necessary, and also if not necessary, being a hero, being the big hunter, and so on. We know all this very well. And as we are living in this patriarchal mindset and system, women who want to have success or want to make career, they adopt these male values. They are proclaimed that these values are universal human values. That's completely wrong. These are not even universal male values. These are patriarchal values. For when we look as males in major society, they don't follow these values, which patriarchal people are claiming. So in the patriarchy, males have to follow these values if they want to make career very often also against their nature. Man doesn't want to live like that, but he must. And also women who want to climb the ladder have to adopt these values to becoming hard, becoming competitive. Of course, also to have competence, which I think is a good thing, but always to foster one's own egotism and individualism. We use the word individualism as a mask for egotism, to be clear about that. And nobody is very happy with this besides the rulers. The rulers are happy with that. Many men are not happy to live in this way, and most of the women are also not happy. It's against their feelings, against their experiences as women. And you are perfectly right to say in major arch societies, this difference between men and women is respected. Men, when they describe the women are the givers of life, even if they are not. Biological mothers, every woman is respected as having this maternal capacity. Every woman. So in matriarchal societies, you have not mothers and non-mothers, everybody is mother. Every woman is respected as a mother because she has this gifting and integrating attitude. And every man is respected as a person who protects a man protects his sisters he protects the sister children he protects the clan he tries to keep peace between the clans and the villages he is protecting his sisters and mothers and sisters children he is a protector and i think this characteristic it's not essentialist it is seen from the practical experience how women and men behave if they are not under pressure this is respected and in this way Both sexes collaborate in a complementary and very fruitful way. And the other difference is between the elders and the young. This is also respected. The elders are respected because of their wisdom and their knowledge, and the young are respected because young women celebrate love. It's a wonderful thing. The mother, the old mothers and grandmothers would help the women to have wonderful clothing and decorate their heads and to go out to love affairs is a wonderful thing so they respect the younger people and children anyway are protective because children are regarded as holy in the sense the children are the reborn ancestors every child is a reborn ancestress or ancestor and in this way they have this complementary network between women and men the old and the young the children and the grandmothers and this works very well in their class. It's the respect of differences which work together in a complementary way. In patriarchy, differences are misused to suppress the others to say we are better and they are not so good as we are. Every difference is used in this way. Men are better than women, white people are better than black people, and so on and so on, to create hierarchy and to suppress. So. In matriarch, differences are regarded as a good thing because the difference between people and also individuals shows the wealth of nature, the wealth in the society. So there's a completely different concept of what a difference means.
0: I love that. Thank you. Which really begs the question, like, how does patriarchy even occur or emerge? And you go into quite a lot about that patriarchy comes from the outside, but it had to emerge from somewhere. And I like what you write about men's secret societies, how they develop, and how that should be prevented at all (laughs) costs.
1: You see, men's secret societies are not the problem, and they are not the first trigger of creating patriarchal patterns. The rise of men's secret societies in Oceania and South America has a long history before it. A history which creates extreme situations for whole populations so that the major patterns were undermined and men became more and more important. I think we can put it in a more general way. Of course, I cannot give you a long course about the rise of patriarchy. <laughs> I, I did <laughs> it in part of my new book for Europe and East Asia. The first point I want to stress here is that we cannot explain the rise of patriarchy by one factor, at one time, in one region. And this was a, a sudden switch and then it was everywhere there. This is a wrong idea. This is a simplistic idea and many people try to find out this simplistic idea, but these are pseudo explanations. They are not valid. So we have to explain the rise of patriarchy for every continent in every cultural region in a different way, because the situation there was different. And we have to be very careful. The rise of patriarchy occurred in Europe completely differently than in Africa, than in South America, and so on and so on. We have to look at this. And this is a huge task for researchers. And I try to do my part in this task. The rise of patriarchy in every continent lasted at least a millennia and was not only a switch. This is important to know. So we have to, to look at the special historical development in every region where patriarchal patterns arose. Maria Gimbutas has done a very important part for Europe when she showed that over... Several millennia, invasions of Indo-European warrior groups came into the formerly native old Europe and destroyed the cultures there. But how did it come to these first Indo-European male warrior groups? This is a true question. We have to explain how domination and war arose in different continents under different conditions. Then we can find out how patriarchy came up. And according to my research and also the research of others in the Eurasian area, we have over millennia devastating decline of climate and of the environment. Many regions which have been green and rivers and lakes there have changed into steppe and deserts over millennia. And imagine that there lived people before who were agrarian, The archaeologists can show this, north of Caucasus and so on. And these were uprooted and had no way how to live on. Many of them perished, and some of them invented new ways of life. For example, to rely not on agriculture, but to rely on herding. And always because the situation became worse, continuously worse, with desertification, the, the answer was to make the herds always bigger and bigger and bigger. And this was a wrong answer. Because these big herds also destroyed the soil. And then they started to migrate their herds. And of course, to keep big herds, then the invention of riding was added. And you can keep big herds by riding, not on foot. And then men were very mobile as riders and carers for the herds. And the importance of women and their economy perished. In the end, they were the servants of the men and their big girls. But the trigger was the decline of environment over millennia, and these people didn't have a different answer than the answer how it developed. When you imagine that also other people did the same in the Eurasia, steppes, which is a huge area. They relied more and more on herding and make their herds bigger and bigger. And the uh, grazing ground dried out. And what happened? They clashed and they started to fight. Not because they were wicked people, because they, they want to survive. It was simply a question of survival. And then they fought against each other, and fighting was more and more important. And when one tribe fights against another, What is then the importance of women? They became the protected objects and the servants at the herds of the men. Nobody has intended this. There was no wicked intention. This was the development of survival. So the situation changed completely. And one day, of course, they discovered the wonderful green area of Europe, starting with the Danube from the Black Sea. Then they started to invite Europe to survive and destroy the cultures there. In my theory, this is still not patriarchy. This is an unhappy development of survival. But when patriarchy starts, it's a special point. When they met these major societies in Europe, when they saw these people, at first they had the herds there and destroyed all the agrarian soil of the people. It was not a good solution. Some of them, Found out that they can let the people work for them, the agrarian people, and then they suppressed them. They were the herders, they had the herds, and the others were working on the agrarian areas and nourishing their masters. This is the first class society the class of the invaders and the class of the older suppressed people who still continue to be matriarchal. And then the patriarchal consciousness arose. For the master thought, Oh, we are the better people. Our way of life is a better one. We invented how we can let work other people for us. So, this was a germ of patriarchy. When they got the idea that they are the better people, that they did a the better work, and they have invented the better social society. When this has developed in their minds, then it was fixed. Then patriarchal hierarchy developed and was refined and refined and refined. This was no longer a situation of survival. It was a situation of the beginning patriarchy, which happened in West Asia and Europe in that way. It has very often, not always, but very often to do with changement of climate and environment because the atmosphere and climate of the earth was never stable. It changed always. And the answers of humankind were different. And in this special difficult
0: time, the answer to these changes were development of patriarchal patterns. So very strong connection between ecological collapse of some kind and emergence of patriarchy. And I mean, look at where we are. (laughs) Yeah, look at
1: where we are. Yes, we are in an extreme dangerous situation. Of course... It also changed the mindset of the people. When Mother Earth doesn't give her fruits any longer, then they stopped to believe in her. And when men were so inventive to invent how to survive, their importance rose and rose, and the belief of women in Mother Earth had no value any longer. When you today look at our mindset of patriarchal mindset, who believes that Mother Earth is so important for us? Mother Earth today is a resource to be exploited, so the result the result is the catastrophe
0: I mean so central to matriarchal belief system, of course, is to stay connected yeah yes
1: yes, you're right, so we don't come to a good explanation to look at that men who created patriarchy as stupid women who let matriarchy go yeah <laughs> no, we have to look at historical developments in changing situations. Also in Paleolithic times, the uh, situation on Earth changed very often. We have different ice ages, and what did people do? They emigrated from the too cold areas into warmer areas, but there were very few. There were not so many as in Neolithic times, so they could go into empty areas and go back into empty areas. The situation was not the same at the time, When the desertification in Eurasia and also in Africa started, many more people were living on Earth and the pressure for them was harder. And today, we are many, many more. And the situation on Earth is difficult.
0: Yeah, difficult. Mm -hmm. A microcosm of what you're talking about is the migration of people across the Pacific Ocean islands. It's almost like Little planets. Can you explain a little bit about how you see that?
1: Another very interesting example how patriarchal patterns develop is the, the um, settlement of the Pacific Ocean, which you just mentioned, coming from very old major auto cultures from China over Taiwan and these islands. The pollination and Micronesian people settled over millennia the Pacific peacefully for their skill in navigation and building boats, was highly developed. And the first migration, as far as I could find out by archaeological evidence and mythological evidence, was a peaceful migration to find new land. These islands are fruitful and they were a good place to live for people, but not many people could live on these islands. So well, they had very strict ideas about birth control. The of people would first settle them. For example, having no children was a noble attitude, was a much respected attitude. And not many children, because, of course, these islands were small. But, of course, the population grew, and then they had to go out again across the sea to find new islands. And so, slowly, step by step, the Pacific Ocean was settled. But this was not the end of the story. Other people from Chinese mainland also tried to find land eastwards, for it was known then that it's possible to cross the sea and find fruitful islands. But in uh, China, in, in the meantime, some patriarchal patterns have developed by special factors and special development, which I will describe later. So when the rioter chiefs started to settle the ocean, they were not the first one, they were the second one. They always brought some achievement ship and weapons with them. Also, seeking for land for the population pressure in the Chinese lowland was hard, but they didn't find empty land, they find settled islands. So what should they do? Should they go back on the sea the same way? No. They fought and conquered the original people there and mixed with them also. And so we have a strange situation of a mixture of matriarchal and patriarchal patterns on Polynesian islands. It's a strange mixture. One example of this mixture are the secret societies of men, which you mentioned before. For the men were the ones who fought down the original population. So they had a special importance. And to keep their magic power of weapons, is always regarded as magic power, secret before women and children, they formed secret societies. Of course, the women have still a lot to say and have kept the traditions and the songs and the holy dances. But the men had their special societies. This is not the first germ of patriarchy, but it is the result of the extreme situation to find tiny lands in a huge, huge area of water where you cannot live. This is the outcome of an extreme migration of these people and when they found land that they had to fight also to live on this land. It is a double extreme situation combined with extreme migrations on this ocean and fighting. And this brought up some patriarchal patterns in Oceania, but which are not so hard and so extreme like the patriarchal patterns the Herder tribes invented in Eurasia and Europe. But this is a different kind of development of patriarchy. I always found out that a matriarchal society which functions very well from within has not deficiencies which changed it to patriarchy. I never found an example like that. It's often claimed that uh, the metriarchies had deficiencies and saying maybe we are so oppressed and so on and so on. This stuff this is not true. Matriarchal societies cannot change from within, but the pressure. The pressure from its environment, the outside pressure is also a pressure which can erode matriarchal patterns by the need of survival. Later, when patriarchal societies had developed some, some very tiny groups, they put pressure on their neighbors, which were still matriarchal, continuously, continuously. And so patriarchy could spread because they always put pressure on their neighbors because they want more power, the rulers wanted to become more rich, and the others are always the enemies, and so on and so on. So when a matriarch society was confronted with a patriarchal one, what should they do? Should they surrender and become patriarchal? No, they didn't do. They tried to survive or to fight the patriarchal society. For example, the Iroquois, classical patriarchal societies, by the invasion of the white people from Europe, they started to fight back, to defend themselves. They adopted the means of the invader, which is never so good. So when they adopted weapons and warrior, this was difficult and dangerous for them because this eroded their matriarchal patterns from within. But it's not because the matriarch was deficient, but because the pressure came from outside, from a patriarchal society. So in this way, patriarchy spread.
0: Speaking of fighting, I would love for you to talk about the Amazons, the Amazons of the Amazon which is sort of a mythological image in people's minds of the woman warrior. But you hypothesize about it in your book, and I think it's super, super interesting what may have developed there.
1: In uh, Europe, we have archaeological records about women warriors. More and more come to light, especially in the Ukraine, north of the Black Sea, which also by the antique authors was described as the realm of the Amazons. And we have also records from the Spanish invaders of the uh, Amazon area. They wrote down what they experienced, and they met Amazon warriors and Amazon women who fought against them. And all these records are always suppressed, because nothing is more dangerous for patriarchal mindset than to think that women could have weapons and could defend themselves and, in the end, destroy patriarchy. Oh, how horrible. Yeah? Therefore, these records are extremely suppressed and made into myths, but they are not myths. Of course, Amazon societies and groups are the last, and I think also a desperate way, of major societies to defend their old cultures. This is a changing of a matriarch society. Women live only among each other, but they still have matriarchal traditions and religion and so on, and they adopted the mean of the invader weapons and defended themselves in that way. Of course, the problem is that they never were so cruel and so brutal like the other party wars. So in the end, All Amazon realms and all Amazon warrior groups were defeated. But it's a way of active defense against the invader. An extreme solution of an
0: extreme situation, so I would call it. You have a matriarchal manifesto where you talk about the kind of thinking that's needed as an antidote to... Our current patriarchal hegemony.
1: This manifesto, matriarchal manifesto, I try to put together in a systematic way all the ideas through many years, which in discussions with women and also men has developed what we can change. And I try to adapt matriarchal patterns to our modern situation. We cannot imitate traditional matriarchal situations, but we can learn from them and to create modern nature archetypes. For example, we cannot live in big blood-related clans any longer. I think this is over. But we can live in communities of siblings by choice, of affinity, brothers, sisters, mothers, and so on and so on. And we have an international community movement where people already try to do this. And this can become matriarchal when women take the initiative and lead these communities. For example, this is on the micro level, and on the macro level, we cannot continue to live in these kind of states and nations because they are too big, and they give a lot of rise of power to few people. I learned from matriarch societies that they never cover a bigger area than a region. A region where people are bound together by cultural traditions, by special natural situations like mountains, lakes, oceans, and so on. It's regionalism, which I plead for. In a region, the politics from below can be still transparent. Consensus politics from below is possible. Beyond a region, it's not longer possible, and then these formal structures develop, which are not transparent any longer. And I always say we do not need states, and we do not need super-state structures, because they are a fruit of patriarchy, and they uh, debase women deeply and make everybody into a number, but not into a human being. We have to leave this. And of course, other ideas, what to do globally. I think national states are too big for a transparent politics, and they are too small to solve the global problems of the polluted air and water and so on. They are too small. We see today it doesn't work. So we need a global structure of a men's council and women's council who care for the healing of the earth together with all the different regions. And sometimes I say the UN we have today tries to form such a global council, but it doesn't work because the Interests of the mighty people are in, and this is a patriarchal structure. So, these are my ideas to this. And then I'm always asked how to set it through. And then I <laughs> created a very radical idea. I think in every today existing national state, the majority of the material goods like land, houses, money are in the hands of men, and women have a very small part. So the exploitation and poverty of women is the basis of the patriarchal power and richness of the ruling men. And this must be changed. So as I say very frankly, half of the national wealth of men, money, taxes, land, houses should be given into the hands of women. Of course, not every individual woman, but of women who form these matriarchal communities. And if this would happen, I think major art patterns would develop very quickly. We had it already in the feminist second wave movement. We had we created bookstores, we created publishing houses, we created health centers, and most of them broke down because of lack of financial means. So women want to collaborate; they want to create things in cultural and social things, and especially the cultural and social area is so badly treated in our society's only industry and monopoly and the transnational corporations. They are extremely rich in cultural things and social things are neglected in an extreme way. I think women would use this material and financial means to create cultural and social, a good life, a good life for themselves and their children. We must never forget that women have a responsibility of mothers and do it, so they behave differently. And in this way I believe that a patriarchal structure would arise from below by women very quickly and could challenge every patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh... I know it's not easy to set through, I know it, but yeah. sometimes I think our foremothers have set through that we women today have higher education, can go to university, can vote, can even become doctors, physicians, lawyers, politicians. How did they do that? Because our foremothers in last centuries were much more suppressed than we are. And they said it through, they did it. So I think it might not be so utopian to demand a fairly shared economy between men and women.
0: And we have to um, create a much stronger solidarity between all women, I think. Yes,
1: we need a strong solidarity for the better of women. And the better of women will also be the better of children, and in the long end, also be the better of men. I think that everybody, women, children, men, live better in a matriarchy. And we live today in a capitalist, exploitative, destructive patriarchy.
0: Wonderful to talk to you. I'm so honored and glad to have had this conversation. Thank you so much,
1: Ella. Wonderful to have this interview with you. And I thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Subject to Power. You can find the show online at subjecttopower.com or subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. I'd love to know your thoughts on these conversations, so please drop a note on the website or find us on social media. The best way to support the show is to rate and review Subject to Power on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. Subject to Power is written, hosted, and produced by me, El Kamihira. Audio engineering is done by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art by B. Johnson, and music by Beware of Darkness.